Hello and welcome to The Virtuous Life. I'm your host, Pat Odie-Murray. And can you believe um, when this show airs, it will be my last show before Advent. Um, so I can't believe we are already upon this season. It's coming right up. And I'll, I'm going to surprise you with Advent this year, what we're going to do. Um, usually every year I do kind of this, you know, book and we look at different things. So we're going to talk, we'll talk more about that next week. I'll surprise you. Um, but this week, uh, I, I really love this person who, um, consented so graciously to be on the show and it was kind of short notice and she was wonderful. Um, it, it, I just, she writes so well and, and it, she's so thought provoking and she was on the show once before and I just so enjoyed our conversation. So when this article came up in Crisis Magazine, I thought, oh my gosh. I, I gotta talk to her. I just, we've gotta, I, I gotta see if she will be on to talk about this. And so let me tell you who it is. It is Sarah Kane. She is known as the Crusader Gal, and she's a political and cultural commentator who makes regular videos about the decline of the West, and she writes for Home, uh, she writes Homefront Crusade. And her articles appear in Crisis Magazine and also in Catholic World Report. Welcome, Sarah. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be back. I enjoyed it thoroughly last time. Oh, well, good. Well, I hope you'll enjoy it that much this time. <laughs> well, this article, and I must tell you, I, when I, I, I kind of, you know, peruse different, um, uh, Catholic websites, uh, online, and if a, if a, a, um, title kind of grabs my attention, I think, ooh, you know, and this right. one grabbed my attention, and then as I started to read, it was nothing that I thought it was going to be about. <laughs> Because you know what threw me, and let me tell the audience, um, the name of the article is Broken Homes Need Church Fathers. Well, being an academic, when I hear church fathers, I think you're going to be talking about like Jerome and Ignatius and, you know, all those guys. Right. <laughs> so, so I started reading, I'm thinking, where are they? <laughs> but I love the article. Um, so anyway, uh, if, again, I just... Sarah, what, because obviously this, this idea of broken homes in, in, um, in our society today is, um, we're just seem to be on hyperdrive. Um, what made you write this article now though? Well, I started looking around at some of the statistics of what's really going on because when I, I spent some time thinking about it myself, about my own parish and the people that I see and Really, the people that have come from what I would call a healthy home mm-hmm. are sadly a rarity and becoming more of it. Right. And I think that so many people don't realize what's, what they're missing, what they have missed by not coming from, you know, that, that home that they frankly were owed, mm-hmm. right? Right. That they had a right to. And they don't realize the sort of privation that they really experienced. And those who come from those, those better homes, uh, they don't realize exactly what what what, what the other side is like, yeah. and and they need to reach across the aisle and say, "Hey, there's there's something better." Right. And so when I look around at these escalating rates of of brokenness and despair, and you look at our opioid crisis, and you know you see these different ramifications mm-hmm. of these privations that are just getting worse. I think I, I was drawn by uh, John Paul II's encyclical familiaris consortio right. where he talks specifically about all these different types of, of broken homes and what the church 
what, what the church's correct response ought to be in those cases, and I think it's actually kind of beautiful. So, Sarah, do you, and you get different reads on this, I know how, what I think, but, um, and I, I think I, what statistics are pointing to, but do you think that we are definitely having a marriage crisis today? Is that at, at the heart of all of this brokenness with families? Um, I don't think most people know what marriage is. Okay. <laughs> That's a good point. So I, so I would definitely say so. Um, I think that, you know, uh, how often, a, how common are prenups, right? Right. I mean, you've got these people who don't understand what it is that they're saying when they enter a marriage. They just think it's, it's essentially one of the things that you do when you reach a certain age and you've already been with a quote-unquote partner for a long time and probably before you have kids. But even then, that's, that's being kind of mm-hmm. seen as sort of optional. For many people, it's done for tax reasons. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. There is different, you know, financial reasons. But it's not this covenant that's created, you know, before God. It's, it's not something that they've... I mean, when you think about it, right? Think about a real marriage. Mm-hmm. You've got two people who are standing there inside the house of God. Yeah. You know, and they're saying to one another before God and before hopefully everyone that they know that they they swear to each other to to love each other as the child of God that they are. Yep. Until until forever. Right. Right. And there's just something so incredibly beautiful about that. Yeah. And in a modern secular society it's stripped it of its beauty, of its value, um, of, of what it truly is. Right. Right. It's right. Of everything and said, Hey, it's just a contract. Yeah, you know, and here's and here's this extra paperwork that you can maybe do if you want. If you know, if you want to get out of this contract later, let's go ahead and add a few clauses to it. And, and it's just it's it's heartbreaking. It is, and and because you know, I mean, I, I and people that have heard me talk about um, my husband, I mean, I just feel so blessed. We had such a uh, what I believe is such a beautiful marriage, and I I remember you know saying my vows and getting choked up. I mean, you know, right. I mean, it, it, it was that kind of a, a thing, right? I'm standing here in front of the priest. Yeah. And, and the house of God and, and God is witnessing and family and friends are witnessing. And I am saying in front of everyone, right, that I will, you know, love you. I will take care of you when you're sick. It doesn't matter if we're rich or we're poor. You know, I will be there. And, and I, I wonder, and, and I know, sir, I kind of straying a little bit from the article, but I wrote these questions down first, <laughs> so I kind of oh. wanted to talk. But do you think, because I heard a statistic a couple of weeks ago that just kind of blew my mind, I, I maybe I just never even thought of it, but that 80% of the divorces initiated in the United States are initiated by women. Um, and, and I'm thinking, wow, no kidding, 80% by women? Do you do you think? Oh, there's probably so many reasons. I mean, I think just an, uh, uh, like you said, we're, we've become secularized, so the understanding of God entering into all this is gone. But even when I look, think about the women's lib movement or this fourth wave of feminism or whatever you want to call it, do you think that has done damage to um, to this concept of marriage and healthy families? Um, absolutely. I mean, I think that it's sort of an extension of a very individualistic worldview. Okay. Um, in which a person sees himself as 
I guess, in modern terms, as the center of the world, mm-hmm. right? And so we we live in this time where there's a desire to just do whatever you want to do, and that not only should you do that, but the greatest good is following whatever your desires are. Yeah, right. right. And that's that's a complete state of inversion. You know, of instead of instead of doing your duties and doing what is right for the sake of the fact that it's right and the fact that you have a duty to God to do these things, uh, to order yourself according to what is good, which is objective, not subjective. Um, and instead you have, in modernity, you have this thing of, well, whatever, whatever I desire in this weirdly primal way mm-hmm. is good. Like we're all just mere animals. We should just, whatever we, whatever we feel, we should just, you know, Dude. embrace. And I think that it's a very sort of narcissistic age in which we're living. Mm-hmm. And some of the women's liberation stuff is, is a result of that. And also the, the fact of, well, I want a divorce because I'm not getting what I want out of this marriage. Yeah. You know, and, and that's the same thing. It's like, well, uh, maybe you should do something else. <laughs> maybe this is a difficult time in your life. Yeah. Maybe you should fight for it. Maybe the promise that you made had value and meant something, mm-hmm. even when it's hard. Right. And, I also think that, you know, we're talking about marriage and about love, but these things, as we talked about with marriage, like how it's lost its definition, right? Right. I think that love also has. Oh, yeah. You know, and so a person that I, if I love a person, I want what's best for for him. Right. right. Mm-hmm. And the thing is that that part has been lost. Instead, it's, it's again, it's, it's the, how does this person help me in some way? Right. That's not what it's supposed to be. Right. And it's only with this inversion of the understanding of love that you can say things like homosexual love, mm-hmm. for example, and homosexual marriage. Right. Because it's not good for the other person in a homosexual relationship to engage in, in homosexual things. Right. Because what's, what's best for a person, what's good for another person, is God. Yeah. Right? Right. I'm, not do, I'm not loving a person by guiding them away from Christ. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm harming him in the, in the greatest way possible by leading him away from Christ. So to love him is to guide him in a divine direction to say, you know what? I care more about your eternal soul than I do about some immediate, you know, want or desire. Right. And, and I think too, don't, don't you, Sarah, the, the idea of wanting, you know, because when I, when I teach, um, you know, the idea of love or charity in, in my classes, I, I use Aquinas's, right? And that's just what you're doing, right. you know, wanting the good of the other, what is best yeah. for this other person. Well, in, in our society, our culture today, there, it's so, well, who am I to say what's best for somebody else, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, and so it, it, it just messes with everything. I mean, when there's, there's no objective way of understanding truth and goodness you're always on shifting ground. Yes, yes, exactly. Because we have this subjectivist um, morality of today, which I think comes from some like nominalistic um, argument of before, which was really cemented with Luther, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's the fact that we're trying to build on nothing. Yeah. You can't build on groundlessness. Yeah. And the moment you say, "Well, who's going to define so and so?" Right. It's like, well, well, God is. Right. <laughs> and. and <laughs> And if you don't have that, you know, as as a basis, then what kind of society do you have? Like, seriously, I think if you get people to slow down and say, okay, so if you remove all 
all grounding of the source of morality, then you can only possibly have one scenario that comes out from that, which is might makes right. Mm-hmm. That's it. Right. Because it's, it's who's the strongest. Because there is no absolute standard for morality if you remove the absolute standard for morality. And whereas in Christendom of past, you would have to say, well, we're, we're structuring our entire sense of order on the basis that the authority that, that the civil authority gets is on the basis of God's ordained authority, right? Right. So he has the, the, he created order, he created you know, what is right, and therefore our correct laws, our moral laws, are moral on the basis that they are aligned with just the, the, the justice of God. Right. And, you know, one of the things I love about this article, um, out of the gate, you know, um, you, you talk about, you know, um, the need for two-parent homes and healthy marriages, and, and you talk about that children have a right to this. Yeah. And, and and I I love that phrasing because um in bioethics I, and I teach donum vitae, and uh, you know and in that in that um encyclical from um the church I think it's an encyclical I can't remember but anyway donum vitae it, it, the the church says um you know adults don't have a right to a child only the child has rights and they have right. the right to be born into a loving family to parent you know and i'm thinking and i always point this out to my students you know the the idea here is who is the most vulnerable in this in our society now especially we're always talking about the vulnerable the oppressed the you know and and we need to we need to but sometimes that's our only focus and we yeah. don't understand that well all of these other things are, I mean, you know, uh, premarital sex, all these kinds of things are attached to the same issue of, of the vulnerable, right? The, that you're, when you create children, when you create a family, they're the most vulnerable, um, yes. not the parents. And, and so they have the right to be born. Into, and I love that you started with that because a lot of people don't think twice about that. It's like, well, they're kids. They'll adjust. I yeah. know it's one of the one of the most I don't know, painful but modern expressions. The, the, the they'll adjust. Our kids are resilient. Is another mm-hmm. one. Yep. You know, it's like well, that doesn't mean you can harm them. Mm-hmm. You know, um, yeah. and, and hope that they can fix it with a therapist in twenty years. That's not moral. Yeah. Um, and and also, you know, you you are denying them this thing that that they ha- had the the right to and were. I mean. The fact is that they, they need these things. Yep. You know, they need these things. And we see that in in the outcomes of those from single-parent homes, which isn't to say that people can't overcome these massive obstacles. Right. But we have to acknowledge the fact that those obstacles were put in place and they shouldn't have been. Right. And it's oppressive when they are. Right. And it's immoral when they are. So when people do this, make these decisions, affecting children, they are... They're making decisions of immorality, and we have to be willing to say so, because there are children who are being seriously harmed mm-hmm. as a result of them, and yeah. they ought to be our priority because they are truly the innocent party in in this equation. Yeah, I remember once years ago I read, and I thought, you know, this should this we sh- this is what should happen in. in um, divorce situations, they might think twice about it. There was a judge, I can't remember where, what state, 
But um, this, these people came and they had, you know, a number of children and they, and they wanted a divorce. And so he said, well, okay, because they're fighting over custody. And he said, well, okay, um, but the kids aren't going to be moving. The kids get the house. They get to stay in the house. You have to move in and out every other week. And I thought, God bless him, you know, because why do the kids' lives get torn apart and moved back and forth and all these kinds of things when it wasn't their choice, you know? And, and I'm thinking, you know, again, they're the vulnerable people in this situation and they should get any kind of a benefit they can. So, Sarah, I wasn't, I didn't realize you wrote um, that a, almost a quarter of the children in the U.S. live with only one parent, according to the Census Bureau. Right. That's the world's highest rate? Really? Our country? Has, so. No. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I did yeah. not know we were the highest in, in the world. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. It's, I mean, and, and we do have. I think maybe it stems from the fact that America has always had a pretty individualistic culture. Yeah. So I think that taken to its well, more of an extreme as we're doing today means that you have this just this absolute embrace of me. Right. You know, right. what matters to me. And, and as you said, the kids will adjust. Uh, yeah. 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 <laughs> you know, as yeah. they said. But I, I do want to say, you mentioned earlier about how adults don't have a right to a child. And you're absolutely right. I think that one of the uh, consequences of that is the modern uh, push towards surrogacy. Yeah. Um, and and I think it helps to just point out that, you know, you get this one, this one error, right? Mm-hmm. This, this one false statement, uh, false belief. And from that, the ramifications of it just taken to its, to its sort of natural, its natural consequence, really, oh, yeah. Yeah. Are, are extreme because you end up with, People being able to purchase children, mm-hmm. to be able to purchase or, or basically a woman's womb, to mm-hmm. use her as a human incubator. Mm-hmm. All these things that are just the absolute um, uh, denial of the dignity of the people involved. Right. You know, it's the reduction of the children to essentially slaves who can be purchased. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. it's all, all these different evils just come from the same belief that we have a right to children. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I find it interesting because, again, children only have inherent value if you want them to have inherent value. You know, um, it, it is it goes back to that again. What, you know, a very individualistic because, you know, you mentioned uh, in your article, almost half of the babies born in the U.S. were born to unmarried women in 2019. And here in Ohio um, in November, um, we just passed um, a constitutional amendment to allow for abortion up until, um, you know, up until birth almost. Uh, and and I'm I'm thinking, you know, good lord, it, it, we really have. This is only important. These are only children, and important if we want them to be important. And and even after they're here. Um, you know, because with, with this statistic of divorce and, and, uh, single parent homes, even after they're here, they, it's almost like they become, um, well, we don't, they really, again, don't have rights unless I think they have rights. <laughs> right. Because, I mean, children are burdensome in the physical sense. Yeah. Right? Right. I mean, they, they need care. Yeah. Um, attention. And, uh, 
<laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, and that takes away from me time. You know. Oh yeah. And for for some people, they have so reduced children to a commodity, and so kind of elevated their own sense of self worth. I guess mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that. The child is just absolutely an accessory that the, that you can ignore, that you can that you can kill. Yeah, and that actually, I think that we're living in a very utilitarian time mm-hmm. where people only have value according to their output. Ah, yeah. And so a a baby does not have value in that sense. Right. The, the, the baby is not producing for the society. Right, kind they're just taking. You might say. Yeah, right. Yeah, um, and similarly, when you get to end of life uh, conversations, mm-hmm. right, where you've got people right. who are sick, mm-hmm. well, they're not outputting, and mm-hmm. therefore, it's suddenly okay to engage in euthanasia. Right. Um, even in the in Canada, they're talking about doing it for um, mental illness as well. Mm-hmm. Or, what's the justification here? Well, they're they're not really outputting. Exactly. Um, they're, they're not able to put anything out. It's like I don't judge a person's value based upon whether I can have his tax money. Right. But ultimately, that is the that is the morality of our age, or the immorality, better said, is is if this person isn't contributing to the societal change jar then I don't think he has value. And when you deprive a society of God, ultimately that is the view of man. Yeah. Is, what is he giving to me? Yeah. And and I think that the kind of the other side of that coin is it, it really is a sense of um, utilitarianism and also, um, you know, going back to that idea of, of um, narcissism in the sense that I don't want to live this way. Right, yeah. I, that that individuality that we're talking about, that selfishness. I don't want to live this way. This baby is inconvenient for me. Um, I, I am in. I'm. You know, I can't do what I used to do when I'm. You know, eighty years old, or I've got. You know, I've got a Parkinson's, or I've got something going on, and so I can't do the things I want to do. So therefore, I might as well not be alive. Yeah. So it, it is, you know, it's kind of society's look and, and the individual's look come together that make these things flourish in a sense. The, the state through this utilitarianism theory recognizes, you know, the individualistic piece of this and, and, and encourages it almost, right? Yeah, you don't want to live that way. Uh, you know, right, absolutely. It's like, yes, I, I know. Aren't, aren't you, the state is basically saying yes. Mm-hmm. You're in pain, and you're also not being able to put out the things that you used to do, right. which I know you like to do. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it's just it's really twisted. I think if you could think of it in like a one-on-one basis instead mm-hmm. of on a state versus individual basis, right. it becomes much darker. It becomes like a horror movie. Yeah, you know, <laughs> so you've got the person who's who's you know depressed and sick, and then the the evil character comes in to, to make these arguments. Right. And it's, it's, it's literally the, the devil on the shoulder saying, hey, your, your life has no value. Exactly. It's over anyway, you can't do anything. Yeah. It's not going to affect anybody else. Yeah. You know, and all these different lies. Yep. I mean, it just comes straight from hell. And, 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 it, and the government is, is, the, yeah. <laughs> is the one doing this. And, it, and it, it is on the other end too, right? I mean, because with, with like the abortion issue, I, I hear people say, well, you know, what kind of life is that kid going to have? You know, 
uh, uh-huh. they, you know, they're being born into poverty, you know, and, you know, oh, so I guess this is better to kill them. I mean, you know, it, it, but it, it is that mentality at both yeah. ends, right? How this impacts uh, my life, you know? Oh, okay. <laughs> sorry, sorry, this is amazing. Okay. So I want to kind of go back a little bit, um, to the article in the sense of you talk about, um, you know, how do we kind of fill this void for um, families, for kids especially, who don't have two-parent homes and are, you know, um, and and don't even maybe realize that um, what you call an immoral household. And I'm going to bring you to that because I think this, uh, people would bristle under that. When when you say an immoral household, oh, what do you mean? You know, but can you explain sure. that? Uh, sure. So when I was talking about those who are raised in immoral households, I'm referring to those who are raised without uh, without good moral instruction. Mm-hmm. So there are those who are perfectly fine with their children committing crime. There who are perfectly fine um, with their children not even seeking what is good what is right, Mm -hmm. not directing them towards any sort of positive outcome. Um, I spoke one day um, to an individual who works as a therapist, who works with children, and he was telling me that so many of the children he talks to, and he asked them, hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? And they come from some of these homes. And they'll tell him, I just want to figure out how to get disability so I can play video games all day. Mm. Now, that is an immoral home mm-hmm. that has never taught that child his potential, right. that has never taught that child what to aim for, or that there's something that he can do that's great. I think that one of the um, one of the most beautiful, I think, uh, parts of our, our faith and our theology is that each individual is capable of reflecting a, a specific part of Christ, is if he were to live up to what he's supposed to be, what God made him to be, he's supposed to refract that that image into the world to be a light that drives people in that direction toward Christ. And when we deny that, the world is darker than it ought to be. Yeah. And I think that children ought to be raised realizing that they are capable of being a light to others in this world, pointing to Christ. When they're instead... I don't know, uh, told that they should go ahead and aim for some kind of disability so they can live in a state of parasitism. That, right. you know, right. uh, just simply because they can, um, they're denying all of, all of that, all of the beauty, all of the obligation. They're denying what was what was possible, but also what they were made for. Right, right. Oh, gosh, Sarah, we are already at break. I can't, we cannot have gotten this. I mean, gosh, (laughs) we should do a three-hour show someday. Okay. There you go. I want people to know that our guest today is Sarah Kane. She's also known as the Crusader Gal. She's a political and cultural commentator who makes regular videos about the decline of the West, and she writes Homefront Crusade, and she is a freelance writer for Catholic World Report and Crisis Magazine. And today we're talking about her current article in Crisis, Broken Homes Need Church Fathers. So join us on the other side of the break as we continue this conversation. You're listening to The Virtuous Life. I'm your host, Pat Odie. Murray. 
Retrovi is a Christian peer ministry designed to help troubled couples regain the health of their marriage. It helps spouses reawaken the love, trust, and commitment that originally brought them together. To learn more about Retrovi or to register for a weekend near you, call 1-800-470-2230 or visit us on the web, helpourmarriage.com. Hello and welcome back to The Virtuous Life. I'm your host, Pat Odie-Murray. And today um, we are having just a fascinating conversation. Um, and, and I told her, if, you, if you're just joining us, I told her before break we should have a three-hour show because I could talk to her forever. Um, but it's Sarah Kane. And Sarah is... Um, now, where did I lay? See, I'm moving stuff all over. Okay, here we go. She's known as the Crusader Gal um, and as a political and cultural commentator who makes regular videos about the decline of the West. And she writes Homefront Crusade. And she is a freelance writer for um, a Catholic World Report and Crisis Magazine. And today we're talking about her recent article in Crisis Magazine called Broken Homes Need Church Fathers. If you missed the first half of the show, please go back and uh, pick it up on our YouTube channel so that you can, um, you know, understand. We talked about statistics. We talked about stuff like that that kind of sets the pace for where we're at. But I am going to pick up. Welcome back, Sarah. Thank you. I appreciate it. I, I love in the article, too, because this is one of the things I always try to get across to my students, that when you're talking about a moral life or moral formation, that there's no neutral ground I mean, if if parents aren't forming their children, someone else is. Right, exactly. I mean, we get our our idea, our understanding of morality from somewhere. We can't exist as simply amoral uh, beings. We're either, you know, moral or immoral in each of our decisions, right? Yeah. And so we see that inside of others, and we we emulate others, especially as children, you know? And so often uh, in those homes without clear moral instruction, you'll have children who get their idea from the music that they listen to, Mm -hmm. or from the TV shows that they watch, or from the schools, God forbid. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, so many different places from which they can be misdirected and have a a malformed conscience as a result. Yeah. And I think part of, uh, and I think our culture as a whole understands that. That's why like in kids shows now, you know, Disney, those kinds of things, they're sneaking on all this, um, you know, kind of cultural stuff with transgenderism and things like that. And two moms and two dads. And uh, because they, they want to form the children in thinking that that is normal, moral. Okay. Um, right. And, 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 and I do think that we don't question what we learned as children. Mm-hmm. We, we never go back and say, Hey, that thing that I was taught when I was, seven years old that I just accepted as true because, you know, an authority told me, is that actually true? Should I go look it up? Most of the time we just don't. (laughs) We just accept these things as the case. And so now they're they're, uh, pushing, say, gender theory on these young children Mm -hmm. um, as truth in order to prevent them from ever, you know, thinking clearly. Right. Unfortunately, though, they do that with with religion a lot of times. They will give that... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, the other thing that came to me as you were talking before break about, you know, um, in in a lot of homes where there isn't um, kind of moral clarity in raising their children, do you think so often that parents want to excuse 
you know, it kind of, they make an excuse for why their child did something. Well, you know, you know, if this wouldn't happen, my kid wouldn't have reacted that way. Or, I mean, there's always kind of this excuse for why my child is doing something that's either immoral, illegal, whatever. Right. Because there's an absence of responsibility Mm -hmm. um, in, in, in society. But I think it's easier, especially in families, because you have the the fact that the child is misbehaving is a reflection of the parent and the parent doesn't want to take responsibility for the fact that they you know, made a mistake here in, in mall right. uh, founding. And so you kind of have the denial of the responsibility of the child so as to prevent the, the responsibility of the parent. Mm. <laughs> no, that's true. Right, exactly. Yeah. And, and ultimately it falls back on, I think, some of the same things that we were talking about earlier too with the... Um, it, it being about me, mm-hmm. and therefore there can't be some other standard coming in there and telling me how I should raise my children, right? Um, that kind of thing, right? But well, um, what if you're doing it wrong? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and I think about you know every time I think about making an excuse. I mean, I get it because I you know a lot of times if I'm you know challenged and as far as like what I'm uh, not what I'm teaching but how I'm teaching, I, you know, I, I've got reasons for it. Let me give you my excuse as to why. I did it that way, you know, so I, I and I, you know, you go back to the garden, right, of the Garden of Eden, well, that was what they were doing, they were making excuses. Right, well, that's, that's the thing, I, and, you know, sometimes, you know, maybe a teaching method is better, I don't know, yeah. <laughs> in your class, um, but I'll say when it comes to actions of actual immorality, um, we can always justify them, mm-hmm. and this is one thing that we forget because we don't want to possibly consider it, but people don't do um acts of, of evil because they think themselves the villain. Right. They do acts of evil because they can justify and rationalize their yep. evil as acts of good. Yep. And that goes all the way up to some of the most, you know, um, frankly, awful oh. tyrants and dictators. And they always had their rationale for this, this greater world that they were going to bring about. That's mm-hmm. why they were doing it, mm-hmm. you know. And some of the most abusive parents were doing it because they wanted to, you know, fix that, fix the child, and and make sure they they, they turned out right. And all of a sudden, you know, yeah. it, it's, that's the trouble, and that's why we have to have the objective standard of morality. Because if you don't, you can justify anything. Yeah, and people have. Yeah. Well, one of the things I found too is because I want to kind of shift our our view a little bit here. You talked about um, the we as church need to realize there are people that have never heard, you know, uh, the messages of, of Christ when it comes to, you know, um, and, and some of the things you, you mentioned, you know, in favor of living celibately until marriage, refusing disordered desires, or the concept of self-denial. There, Why do we as a church shy away from that, do you think? Like getting I, that out there. Well, in the modern church, I think there is a disturbing tendency to want to be liked. Mm. Um, to, I think it's erroneous mm-hmm. that there's a belief that we should um, somewhat acclimate to the world so as to um, be more receptive to the world and see meet them where they are kind of um, mm-hmm. theology, which is wrong. It's like if I'm if I'm going to go meet an alcoholic at the bar, I should be leading him away from the bar thereafter, mm-hmm. you know, right. staying there and ordering him a drink. Right. Um, and, that's, and that's the difference there. 
See, what so many within the modern church are wanting to do is neuter some of the doctrines of the church that that are not only true, mm-hmm. obviously, mm-hmm. Um, but also are beautiful pathways to a better ordered life. Mm-hmm. And I think it's I think it's easier to do what people think is nice. So it's easier to say, hey, you know the thing that you're doing? Just keep doing it. You do you. Yeah, yeah, you, you know? do you. And, yeah, right. Right. Um, God loves you no matter what, so therefore you should just, you know, do nothing or, mm-hmm. or sing, sing some, some music and you'll be fine. Um, and that's the thing. But I don't think it's actual niceness. Yeah. Because like we were saying earlier, you know, if you want to be nice to a person, you care about his eternal soul, you have to tell him the truth. Right. Um, so I think it's more like cowardice. Mm-hmm. Um, the the mm-hmm. masquerading as niceness. Niceness, yeah. It, it, yeah, because it, it's hard. It it's is. It's hard to tell a person, hey, you're living in sin. It's bad for your soul. Mm-hmm. It's bad for those around you. Yep. Um, you know, but also, we have to. Yeah. Like, we have to engage in these conversations. And even if you're not saying it like, in a face-to-face context, we have to be saying it, you know, out loud to others you know, to the community, you, you, we need to have church fathers in the sense of priests and clergy um, speaking to to today's people and explaining why these things yeah, the are, are good yeah. and why they lead to a good life. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that's that's so deprived yeah. of of modern man, and well, we're suffering from it. Oh yeah, I, and it's interesting you say that, Sarah, because. One of the things that, because after you teach for a long time, you just kind of think there are things that everybody should know when they come into your classroom. And, um, and I'm, I'm totally amazed, especially the last few years, that when I talk about, and I, and I, I teach bioethics and Christian morality. So, but even in bioethics, as we're talking about, um, like sex and the purpose and meaning of sex. And we're talking about uh, why, um, you know, uh, abortion would be wrong through the eyes of the natural law theory. And I've had students say, well, yeah, but, you know, if you're using birth control, you didn't consent to get pregnant. So if you don't want to get pregnant and, and so, and I, and, but then I've also had other students say, well, you know, when you engage in sex, you know, you, you open yourself up to, whether you're using anything or not, you open yourself up to, cause procreation is part of sex. And I really do have students that have never considered that. Like they, what do you mean uh, that every time I have sex, I'm opening myself up to have a child? You know, I mean, they, and I'm thinking, oh my gosh. This, it's taken what, since probably the late 60s till now, we really have separated uh, sex from procreation and unity. I mean, we've just, it's it's happened in right. the minds. Uh, and it's just so sad, you know. It, I, it is. And I do think that even, you know, one thing that I'm sure you talk about, but I think is overlooked, is that, you know, Contraception inside of sex is such a oh. denial to the other person. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's like I offer you part of myself. Yeah. Or, or you're saying it to the other person. I only accept part of you. Right. Um, 
you know, and you thus reduce the other person to a commodity. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's so much there all at once that is just, they're just missing. Yeah. From the understanding of, of most people now, I was raised atheist. I was never told any of this. <laughs> um, you know, and, yeah. and so it's, so, I think that's the thing. It's like it's so easy for us to go. Well, we know it, and therefore everybody else either knows it or ought to know it, right? Like from some from some mysterious thing in the air. Yeah, and that that's not the case. No, um, and it's not like you can turn on the TV and hear these messages. Yeah, badly. Yeah, you know, Fulton Sheen isn't there anymore. I know. <laughs> I know. I was listening to him on Catholic Radio the other day, thinking they should just play him twenty four hours a day. Mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> well, Sarah, let's get into then um, the role of the church in this. Um, okay. So, you know, we've kind of laid out, obviously, all the issues that, that we're dealing with here. Um, so how can the church um, help people, and especially children, who are in these situations where they are, um, you know, one-parent home or, or, you know, where maybe they're not, being formed morally, what can the church do? I think the main thing the church needs to, to do is be more vocal. I think for whatever reason, I won't speculate, mm-hmm. the, the church, different priests, different bishops, all want to be quiet except for on things that they think will attract people, which is not actually what attracts people, mm-hmm. um, which is any sort of acquiescence. Like They're, they're loud about that. Right. But they're not allowed about the actual teachings of the church in these regards, and that's where they're doing an injustice mm-hmm. um, to these people because they they don't know where to look. Right. And so, where you have different members of clergy who, you know, will, will talk in generic terms and say God is love. Like, okay, but what does that mean? What yeah. does that mean to somebody who who doesn't understand what love is? Mm-hmm. You know, and who won't talk about these these I guess you'd call them sexual sins that are so important in our modern society and that so many intergenerationally are affected through. Right. You know, and that's the thing. And these are the, these are the conversations that need to be had. Yeah. And then in, in local parishes, I think there needs to be an, an active effort to have some catechesis there that's not just, you know, RCIA, mm-hmm. for example. Like, not that... That's not important. Right, it is. Who are actually trying to join the church. But I think that you need to have, because um, catechesis is so awful. I don't know of anyone who who argues against this. I don't know of anyone who says, you know what, catechesis is fine. Everybody's so educated in what the church teaches. Like, (laughs) nobody nobody makes that argument, which is kind of funny. Um, But few people are doing anything about it. Mm -hmm. And at individual parishes, I think you need to have continuing education, because otherwise what we teach is, that when you join the church, whether when you're confirmed, whether it's as a child, whether it's as an adult, you have graduated and now you're a Catholic and now you know all there is to know yeah. and, and therefore, you know, go live your life. That's right. And that, that's inadequate. Right. It's not true. Yeah. And so what instead, we need to teach people through example that instead... This is a rich, deep faith that you can spend a lifetime studying oh, and says. not know, you know, a fraction of it. But it's beautiful and it's true, yep. and these are the answers to live a better life. And that, most importantly, your education of the faith is supposed to be a continuing journey because we're all supposed to be on a pilgrimage home. Right. Exactly. You know? Yes. And and one of the things, too, Sarah, I think that you brought up in the article, which 
I think is so important. You talked about, and um, you say an overlooked type of evangelization is demonstrated happiness. I I think this is so true um, because I think to the world, um, you know, being a religious person or a Catholic person, people say, oh, you know, look, you know, you just live in a b- bunch of rules. You know, you can't be happy. Yada, right. yada. And, and and sometimes I, I do look at people who claim faith and, and I, I do wonder <laughs> – <laughs> if You're not alone. Yeah, yeah. Are you really happy? I mean, and again, it's that concept of happiness, right? Um, the idea that mm-hmm. it's not just pleasure and emotion, that there is a, a depth, a sense of deep fulfillment and flourishing. And, yeah. and so can you kind of, um, describe that in the sense of, of, in, if I'm in a parish, right? Mm-hmm. How do I, evangelize by my happiness, especially in this situation where we're talking about broken families? Um, I, I think that what we need to do is show healthy families, mm. right? right? So those families have to, to go and, and be at a parish together and communicate with other families, including those that, you know, don't meet that standard um, yet, but who, but who are trying, right? right. And who, who are there. As, as, as proof of the fact that they're trying, who want to learn. And I think that that interaction alone with explaining what makes you happy, I think that um, there is something to the fact that, you know, every, every family, just as every person experiences hardship. I'm not asking um, people to smile when they're, when they're not happy. That's, right. that's not what I mean. Right. Um, but I think that families that are healthy and are as they ought to be, they pray together during those times of hardship. They're drawn to each other because our faith is not a talisman against bad things from happening, mm-hmm. but it's the reminder that when it does, we are not spiritual orphans. We are sons and daughters of God, heirs to a divine kingdom, right? Right. And that is, is what we ought to be living in that recognition um, of that of that adoption through baptism made children of children of God. And when you have that sense of proper order in in your heart, I think that's what needs to be shared. That no matter what happens in your life and what kind of brokenness stems and is in the rearview mirror, you are still, you know, that child of God who is watched over and looked over and is not abandoned and is not alone ever. Yeah. And I think that that is demonstrated best through these different families that that can talk about it and that can show that a family can work simply because yeah. there are people from these other backgrounds who don't think it can. Right. Who, you know, who all they've ever seen are the, the mother and the father who hate each other and scream at each other when they have to talk to each other because of a custody battle. Mm-hmm. You know, that's their experience of family. Mm-hmm. And they, they, they either have a broken um, aggravated Thanksgiving or not at all, mm-hmm. because they can't stand each other to such a degree, and and it's these things that need to be um, compensated for. And I think that sometimes it can help to. And I did sort of allude to this in the article. I think that if you've got a, a person there who is is just trying and is looking away from the world and toward the church, I think that if you could invite them to a to a dinner 
mm-hmm. you know, as a, as a family, uh, with your family, so they can see just once for an evening what it looks like. Right. Like what just a regular, healthy family looks like where they, you know, say grace um, before eating their meal and then they laugh and they talk with one another and they share their stories and they share their struggles and they, they clean up together as a family after the husband and wife has cooked together. Mm-hmm. I think that that dynamic that seems so ordinary and so mundane to so many does not seem that way uh, to someone who comes from a more difficult background and it can give them some sense of something to aim for because we're all aiming somewhere. Yeah. And some people don't quite know what it is to aim for. You know, yep. and and this is how we give them that sense of of divine divine direction, mm-hmm. really. Yes. Because like we were talking about earlier, like to love someone is to is to is to want the best for the beloved, and the best for the beloved is God. Therefore, we aim them at God. We aim them at Christ because that's the ultimate happiness. And you know, um, and this is like a, a demonstration of that. I think it, it's it might seem like a a pretty small act, but I think it can have a monumental effect oh, yeah. on somebody who has never seen that work. Yeah. Well, Sarah, do, how do we, um, I think part, and again, this is our, our, the culture that we live in, right? Is that when you speak the truth and even if you do it in love, um, and even if you, and, and I'm not even just talking about a one-on-one conversation, I'm talking about even in teach when I teach the truth, um, there, there are going to be people who are offended, right? I mean, if, if I'm someone who is living with my boyfriend and now you're talking about, um, you know, premarital sex is, and fornication is sinful, um, now I'm upset. <laughs> okay. Because I'm right. living with my boyfriend. And so forget you, forget this. And, and it's kind of this, I mean, we've, we've fallen into that same thing with marriage and family that, well, who are you to say what the ideal family is and the healthy family? And, you know, um, and so, so if I'm, if I am divorced or if, um, you know, I had a child out of wedlock or whatever, and now, you know, father or this religion teacher is teaching my kids that that's sinful. Um, I don't want to be a part of this. So how do you have any ideas on how you kind of break through that kind of defensiveness to get people to understand we really are talking about what is good and healthy for an individual? Um, I, I will concede that it's difficult. Mm-hmm. I will also say that I think to some degree it depends on whether the person is ready to hear certain things. Yeah. Um, but I think that the priority has to be on what they have a right to. Uh, and what they have a right to is truth. Got it. You know? And right. So I think that, that that's ultimately the thing. You know, we said about rights in regards to children and now, mm-hmm. you know, but here it's, it's, it's this distinction between what they want and what they have the right to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, uh, and, and I think you have to praise place the priority there because it's like if you don't mm-hmm. you know, and if you just elect to not tell them the truth because mm-hmm. you want to give them what they want as opposed to um, what they need and mm-hmm. uh, and, and should have mm-hmm. well, okay but what if what if they die right you know what if they die in a state of mortal sin and you know 
not, not want to, to put limits on God's mercy sure, here, but right. I, I think that I would be somewhat responsible for the fact that I had never told them the truth. Yeah. And that's the thing. It's like we're supposed to love our neighbor as ourselves. Mm-hmm. We're supposed to love them by giving them the truth, and the truth is Christ. Mm-hmm. So that doesn't mean that we have to, you know, scream aggressively at them. Of course not. Right. And it was, I think it was Aquinas who said that prudence is the charioteer of all yes. virtues. Yep. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and I think that, that comes in there too with exactly how we uh, state something. Mm-hmm. Uh, can can require some prudence. And I, I do say, I think it can also require a little bit of prayer, just a brief one before doing so. Right. Uh, some, sometimes to to help the person's heart to be open to understanding that what we're trying to tell them, we're telling them because we love them, not because we um, hate them or want ill for them. Like, that's the very opposite of sure. what they can um, assume. Yeah. Oh gosh, Sarah, we've only got three minutes, a little less than uh, three minutes left, and I just have lots more to talk to you about. But, um, I, I, I guess one of the things that, um, I, I want to just kind of pull back here is in, in your article toward the end, you say the erroneous correlation between license and happiness that is so embedded in the American collective psyche only furthers further imprison such people. And and it has again to come back to that idea of of freedom that we we kind yeah. of chafe against any kind of rules. And so the church always seems authori- authoritarian. How do would you uh, how do you help kind of people understand that there that there is a need for these objective norms even if people don't want to call them rules, objective norms that help us live um, better. Like, what? How? How would you approach that, especially in family life? I I think that one of the strange blessings of the fact that we live in such a broken world right now mm-hmm. is that there are lots of things that you can point to to prove <laughs> yeah. the ramifications of not following these, as you call them, norms. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, you, you can point to the different brokenness and decay, and you can ask the person do you think we're going in a positive direction? Mm-hmm. And I don't know anybody who does. Yeah. Um, and you can point to, I mean, sometimes I'll say to somebody, okay, think of the most promiscuous person that you know. Is that person happy? Mm-hmm. And they, they never are. Right. And so I think that that's the thing. You have to um, be a little bit blunt there, mm-hmm. you know, but in order to point out these things that people have seen, but they haven't noticed. And that's and that's the thing. And because we do live in this individualistic society with this desire for, um, I hate to call it freedom, but freedom yeah. in an anarchist sense. Right. Of, if I can do what I want, therefore I am better. Right. And, it, and it's, it's, it's kind of strange because it's like, if you believe that, then do you believe that you're freer than God because God can only choose what is good? Right. Because God, God is Oh, I good. like that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't think that can possibly be true. You right. know? Right. And, and yet, and yet there are people who haven't, again, heard these arguments, so mm. just presenting them in, in these ways to say, no, what I want, what I need, and what I have a right to is the freedom, or the liberty, if you like, to do what is good. Yep. I, I need the liberty to do what, what my duties demand, you know, to speak the truth, 
to engage in right worship. These are the things that I need my liberty to do. Right. You know, to care for myself and for my family, to defend those things. These are the actual rights because our rights exist for the fulfillment of our duties because we are not mere animals. Yeah. But because, you know, we are made in the image and likeness of God and because as baptized uh, Christians and Catholics, we are children of God. Oh, Sarah, we are out of time. It was wonderful, but that's a great way to end. <laughs> so let me let the audience know. My guest today is Sarah Kane, and she is known as Crusader Gal, um, and she is a political and cultural commentator, makes regular videos about the decline of the West, and she writes Homefront Crusade, and she is a freelance for Catholic World Report and Crisis Magazine. And today, we had a wonderful discussion on her latest article in Crisis, Broken Homes Need Church Fathers. Thanks so much, Sarah. Thank you. I had a wonderful conversation. I appreciate it so much. No problem. And thanks so much for listening. You've been listening to The Virtuous Life. I'm your host, Pat Odie-Murray.